0: Welcome to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Putnam, and we're talking to men who, in the face of every adversity, have chosen to take destiny by the balls and create a legacy all of their own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Rugged Legacy Podcast, and in this episode, I'm talking to my good friends, Kyle and Nikki, about how to start a homestead and what it's like creating a life where you live completely in reliance on your own production. Hope you enjoy. So Kyle, Nikki, thanks to you guys for coming on.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Thanks, Jeff. Hey, not a problem. So first off, did you always want to just start a homestead or is that something you have realized you wanted a little later?
2: Me personally, I've always thought it'd be cool to live on the frontier with 40 acres. Like, that's always like a childhood dream of mine. Um, Did not know how probable it was growing up in the time and and space we do, you know? My wife has always wanted to live in the country, but I don't know if homesteading was a dream of yours, was it?
1: I don't know if I would say homesteading necessarily, but I kind of realized that this was something that we wanted to work towards very shortly after we bought our first house in town. You know, prior to that, I never had really any experience doing a whole lot of stuff outside as far as gardening or anything like that goes. And once we bought our other house in town, we decided to give it a shot and realized that we didn't have very much space, very much sun for things to grow so I think it was maybe within the first year or two of us living in that house, I told Kyle that we should move out into the country. And so he wasn't very thrilled about that if we just purchased the house, but slowly working towards it and realized that we were really running out of space and sun to do the things we really wanted to do. And as we learned how much we really liked being outside and working with the land and things like that, it just kind of went from there and then we started thinking about you know more long-term things like chickens and fruit trees and stuff which we haven't quite gotten to yet but it's a work in progress and at least now we have the space to where we could do that if we want it when we're ready to.
0: Yeah I feel you on that when uh, my wife and I were living in the desert we wanted to do the same thing but nothing grows there outside of things with thorns we don't really get to eat those. (laughs) Uh, Then we moved out back here to where I'm from in South Carolina, and we've got a decent little plot here. Um, As far as homesteading goes, we have a 12 by 20 foot garden that we'll eat from, but still not nearly at the level we want to be.
1: Yeah.
0: So when you guys sat down to plan out this whole thing, walk me and the listeners through the whole planning process that you guys did, where you could finally agree on something for the direction that you wanted to take it? Because I know that a lot of people just go, I'm gonna start a farm or I'm gonna <laughs> start a homestead. <laughs> and then they get into it. I don't know what kind of farm, how I'm gonna work it, uh, what I'm going to have and not have. You know, it's a lot for people to kind of take on.
2: Oh uh, Yeah, 100%. When it was a year and a half after we bought the last house where my wife said she wanted to move into the country. and. From that point on, I took on the hobby of listening to podcasts or doing or watching TV shows or uh, reading books about what people do to be more self-sufficient, and that's a very broad subject. And the cool thing is, is when you're not actually able to do it, you can cherry pick, and you you don't even have to take any action, you know, because if you let's let's just say you move first. And then you're like, well, I'm going to raise chickens. Well, now you've already said you've got to raise chickens and you have to figure it all out right now. Where if, if you're say, if you're in town, you're planning on moving into the country, you can do a lot more study, look at other people's experiences. So for me personally, I listened to, um, Aust with Homesteady and I, we watched a, uh, it was a TV series where these people went out and they lived like it was 1875, I think. And they did a whole spring and summer and fall with no power, just like they, just like the pioneers used to. And from there, I kind of got an idea of what was really needed, what was really required. We started house shopping. We shopped for three home, three years.
1: Yeah, on and off for three years, you know.
2: So we would look at certain property, and we'd look at how much sunlight there was, how much, how many woods there was. Was there a pond? You know, was there a stream? How old was the house? Where was the house located? How close was it to other people? And when you start putting all these pieces together, if the more the more independent you want to be, or the more control you want to have over you and your land, the farther you have to be from other people. You know, you have to be zoned correctly. You have to have the right distances between properties. Um, you have to know what other people are doing on those properties, and. It's, it's really, uh, if you're a strategy guy, it's a fun game, you know, if my wife's not a strategy person, so, yeah. but she was, she was really into how pretty it can look, you know, how nice the house is, like stuff that, that didn't really pertain to me because I'm very utilitarian with most things.
1: And we had to kind of decide on, as far as purchasing our house, originally we had planned on buying a house that needed more work and just using the money that we had from the leftover from the sale of our old house to put into the house. But then as we started thinking about the amount of money it would take to get a house up to par, like cosmetically how we want the house itself to be, we decided to just opt and spend the same amount of money and buy a house that was fairly move in ready We we had to sacrifice some land, but we figured that way instead of working on getting the house up to par to where we want it, we can just start working outside right away because all the major things that would have to be done with the house that you would buy that's a fixer-upper is already taken care of. So instead, we're using that our first year here to do all the stuff on the outside. And I think since we've moved here, all we've done was paint a few rooms and that's it. So it's been worked out a lot easier for us that that way.
0: And he's definitely
1: more of a planner, so... (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah with uh my wife and I we had spoken about uh purchasing a farm up in uh Minnesota but that was exactly why we didn't the house needed a lot of work in addition to a lot of extra things that would need to be done to formulate the farm itself to what we wanted because it was a goat farm and Yeah. yeah and we didn't plan on you know goat cheese and goat milk being you know our breadwinners as it were yeah Um, a little more homesteadish where it had a little bit of everything and it would have required way too much work and so we almost got in over our heads for about three hundred thousand dollars that would have been terrible
2: yeah we almost got in over our heads with it was an 80 acre property five minutes from where i worked and the house could have been demoed but it had three ponds it had,
1: It's just beautiful, perfect, it, perfect property. Yeah. But even if it was just like, if we didn't have a family, I think that it would have been feasible for us, but he worked so much. I mean, there's things that I could have done when he was at work, but me trying to do remodeling by myself, while he's at work with three kids is just not going to work out so well. And I, so we didn't want to have to try to tackle all those things at once. And I'd like
2: to bring up a point. We started off the conversation about homesteading and it quickly turned into remodeling a home. That, that's, that's, not, that's not homesteading, that's remodeling a home. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's a huge part about buying your property is do you want to remodel the home first?
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so what is the ultimate goal for what you guys are doing? How, how, what, in 20 years when all the work is done, or when most of the work is done in 20 years, cause it's never really gonna end. Um,
1: what does it look like to you guys?
2: I'll let you go, go first.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, for me personally, 20 years, okay. So we would, I would like to have most of the food that we consume be from our property. You know, like we would mentioned the fruit trees and other berries and things, and then your regular garden that you would have, you know, seasonally. And um, so that's where I see it. And if we need to expand to have some more recreational property, we've talked about buying additional property, because it's kind of crazy, you know, we have almost three acres here. And once we get the stuff put in the front yard with the trees, the fruit trees and everything out back, we really don't have that much room already. We have several garden beds, I don't know how many raised beds we have back there, and then a few larger plots. And so it's already starting to, take up space to where we have to kind of maneuver around, well, do we need space? Should we have a little space here? And then we have to try to drive back there to do things in the pole barn and whatnot as well. And so we might need to expand sometime already. So how much planning does
0: it goes into figuring out the space that you're going to utilize and how do you guys go about maximizing what space you have before you have to think about you know expanding property lines and you know additional properties
2: so the way i look at it is you have to get a good foundation so i have to put in a windbreak first we need a chicken coop a greenhouse these raised beds and we need to be able to maneuver around it and it's kind of like when you're organize a bedroom that you've, that is either a blank slate or, or say your kids have messed it up. You move things around and you experiment with it and you see if it works for you. Nikki's already moved one of the raised beds. Yeah. So we had a raised bed. We actually, we even had, we had one hoop house that was destroyed in the winter. Then in the spring, we bought two new hoop houses and then those were destroyed in a storm. And then, so we already had these, and so the the places where the hoop houses were became raised garden beds because obviously hoop houses won't work without a windbreak. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we know that we need, you know, thirty feet for a windbreak. Well, well, that that uh, shrinks the the growing area by forty feet because you want room to work around it. You gotta you gotta learn how to work with with what's already set up with where you're trying to go. And you if you have kids, you got to think about recreation and stuff too. So it's its really a floating system.
1: Yeah, and then you want to have certain things planned out, you know, accordingly, like we have a patch with asparagus and strawberries, So that's a perennial patch. So when you think about perennials, you want to, that's going to be a, basically a permanent spot, right? So you can't really move that around. You want to cycle your crops otherwise. So that's something else to consider where you're going to put, Like we put a lot of our stuff in the raised beds, but things like the melon and the corn and whatnot, we put directly in the ground. And so you wanna be able to cycle those things around a little bit. And like he had said, we already have made some changes as far as I had to move a garden bed because we tried putting a spot where we grew melons and squash, but the soil was really sandy and really junky soil for that. So then, you know, trial and error, you gotta move things for next year. So you just learn from the mistakes that you made And another thing that we did that was kind of useful is we got a great big um, whiteboard and we did kind of like an aerial map to where we estimated you could get fancy, you know, and actually take measurements and make it like a grid to have everything very precise, but we just did a rough draft. And that was kind of helpful too, to just lay it all out visually where you can see it all in one spot as opposed to just looking out at your property. So that was helpful.
2: Never be too committed with what you think you want.
1: Right. And there's also there's also a lot of resources too that you can find in different books on permaculture and whatnot to where they suggest, well, maybe you should have your compost over by your greenhouse or have your compost by, you know, your chickens or rabbits or whatever, because it's going to be easier for you to put the, you know, animal droppings into the compost and then move your compost to your greenhouse or your garden. So there's different ways that you can also tie things together for convenience. And like another thing that we did is I put a big pollinator garden, so just for flowers and things like that, kind of situated in between all the other things. In the, and that in way, the it's in the middle. So that way, my hope is that, you know, different pollinators will come in towards the middle. And as they're scattering about, they have to go through, you know, go past the tomatoes and the squash and zucchini, stuff like that, that you really need pollinators for. So what, that's another thing to consider.
2: What do you mean by pollinators, babe?
1: Bees and butterflies and stuff, because some vegetables that you have rely heavily on that. You know, at the very beginning, I wasn't seeing very much bees, so I was going to have I was going out there and hand pollinating squash and zucchini myself because they really need that. And so, if you don't see a lot of those insects doing the work for you, you got to do it yourself. So, if you can make it easier to where you don't have to do it, then that's great. So, I have a question: How do
0: you manually pollinate?
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> um,
0: I, mean, I know Al, I have nine kids. But <laughs> I've never, I well, mean, that's, that's wild to me. Cause I know how pollination works with bees and hummingbirds and birds and butterflies. And How do you manually pollinate?
1: Oh, I wish I could be a little more technical for you, but <laughs> people, you know, obviously there's male and female flowers on squash and zucchini and stuff like that and uh so you can go and their flowers are so big so it's really easy to see in the middle the male and female parts the male part looks kind of like what you would expect a male part to look there's like a little shaft and then the stamen on top and then the female parts are kind of the same i don't remember the technical term for them but just um, not a vagina. they don't <laughs> call it that in the plant world i don't remember what they call it but so basically it's like what it sounds like and people do it you can do it either with the q-tip or you can do it with a paintbrush. So you just simply take some of the pollen off the male flowers and then you kind of rub it around the poofy part on side, inside the female flowers. And there's things that you can look online. There's all sorts of different pictures. And once you see them, you think, oh, well, that makes complete sense when you're actually looking for it. as If you just see a flower, you might not think twice about it. But when you're actually looking for it, those big flowers, it's really pretty easy to see. Okay, that's pretty
0: cool because you know, like what you guys were talking about, how you're you are planning where you place things, you know, you get your compost pile here, your beds here, whatnot. I've always seen that the majority of the farms that I've been on, especially living here in the South, there's been plenty. Everything looks like it's pretty cut and dry where it's supposed to be. And you never see a different kind of arrangement, but I never would have considered pollinating you know, whether manually or setting something up. Uh, I never, I don't think I've ever seen something like that that was just described to me. I always thought, oh look, they got a nice little flower bed that kind of adds to the beauty in the back. I never knew that that was something strategic.
1: Yeah. Right, and then another thing to think about while you're doing it, for us, I am a plant hoarder, and so <laughs> I, brought, I brought a lot of our plants from the old house, because I just couldn't part with them, obviously, and then so I kind of needed a space to put some of them because we had filled up beds around the house to make it look nice and I still had plants left over. And so I kind of needed a place to put them so it worked out that way. But then also um, when you're making a pollinator bed, it's also really good to consider trying to find native plants to put in there because the bugs in, that are native to the area are obviously going to like the native plants that are there. So they're attracted to that just automatically more so than they might be something that's you know more exotic.
0: Gotcha. So once you get all that laid out and how much research went into it, was it something you always kind of maybe, you know, had an interest in or always did how much research went into how you cycle your crops?
1: Um, I haven't done a ton of research on it yet, to be honest with you. So that's something that I'm going to look into more when we're planning out our beds for next year. I know that there's a system to it. You know, certain crops like to follow other ones because it's not good for the soil to plant the same thing there over and over and over again, because it will start to rob the nutrients. Whereas some other plants might add some nutrients into the soil that your next crop will really like. And then, so it just cycles through like that. That's that's the theory
0: That's how the Dust Bowl got started. They didn't cycle in it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Yes, it did. You know, and we were experimenting with some mushroom compost and some regular compost this year, and it was amazing the difference between, wasn't it tomatoes?
1: Yeah, the tomato difference was quite big because I had tried to stagger it to where one was in regular compost, one was in a mix of regular compost and mushroom compost, and one was just mushroom compost, all mixed into soil, of course, but yeah, you could you could definitely see the difference, but another thing that you want to consider with that is I learned that with certain vegetables like broccoli, you might not want to use mushroom compost because the nitrogen can put too much energy into the leaves, more so than the broccoli part that you want to eat. So you also want to look into what plants are good for that. Tomatoes are good; they like nitrogen. Yeah. So it worked out well for them.
2: It was a it was a lot of fun. I guess that's that's uh, my point. Is it's it's been a lot of fun to to play with the plants, play with the soil. Um, We filled, like our first compost bin, we filled that up in a month and a half. If that. I mean, it was stupid quick. And half of it's already gone again.
1: Yeah, we're in three bins now. All
0: right, so you're a family of five. You guys have three kids, right? Yes. How much production or output do you guys need to, because you said your goal was to have the majority of the food you consume. Um, from your own property, what amount of space and output are you guys going to need to actually be able to do that year round?
2: So are you familiar with permaculture, the, the term?
0: Um, the term, yeah. I haven't done much of it myself.
2: Okay. So the, the idea is what we want to do is, is do perma- permacultured food plots. You can get a, a big variety of them. And there's a guy down south, I don't remember the name off my top, off the top of my head, but, but he says he can produce five acres of produce per acre of land, right? And, and what we want to do is create the greatest variety of produce, fruit, nut, vegetables, and different food plots all throughout the property. The fun thing is, is you gave me a 20-year Time frame. So in 20 years, it'll just be me and Nikki again. (laughs) But uh, but the the thing is, is excuse me, starting from scratch and then building section by section in an organized, well, semi-organized, semi-consistent way with them, with the children being able to help integrate it it does tell us quite a bit about what we actually eat, uh, what we enjoy eating and how much we need. We grew a lot of tomatoes. We We had a little too much tomatoes this year.
1: Yeah, so that's another thing to consider too is what you actually eat. I thought at the beginning of this year, we like cherry tomatoes. The kids will have so much fun. Let us be picking cherry tomatoes and eating them all the time. And that was not the case. We had our toddler, she likes them a lot. She'll go and pick them, but we grew way too many cherry tomatoes and not enough canning tomatoes. Now we know for next year, um, we're gonna. I plan on growing a lot more canning tomatoes because you can use that throughout the year. Then once you can, then make salsa, spaghetti sauce, or just plain tomato sauce. Um, as opposed to trying to have so many fresh things, cherry tomatoes are stuff that you can do, but they're a pain in the butt to try to can. I learned that the hard way. So that's another thing. Is just it takes some time, I think, to some trial and error to see. How much you're actually going to eat and what people are going to like eating and focus if you want your focus to be on a variety of fresh or if you want your focus to be on. Sustaining your family throughout the year, which would go into the preserving like the canning and freezing, you can freeze a lot more stuff too. which I haven't really gotten into that yet, but I do have a lot of peppers I still have to cut but I plan on freezing.
2: So the goal is to feed the family off what we produce. But it doesn't make any sense to me to just put a bunch of things in the ground and become overwhelmed and have it all rot.
0: I got you. Is there a strategy that goes behind, uh, let's say you have a yield and a harvest come up and then you know that certain things are only going to grow certain amounts in certain seasons because you're going to have experience with the land over time. Is there a strategy of how much per yield if you decide like what nikki you were just talking about we're going to have a large yield of tomatoes or beans or whatever that goes into how much you're going to need uh to can or preserve for the long haul is there a strategy that goes into that when you're planting with
1: the
2: planting cycles oh
1: um
2: i'm sorry i
1: know that there's strategies behind that. And there are certain ways that you can decide like, oh, well, this tomato plant might yield X amount of tomatoes. I'm sure that there's ways to do it, but I haven't really looked into it too much quite yet. And there's certain strategies that you can use for staggering your planting. You know, if you want to try to make salsa, for example, with everything, you can always look on most of the seed packets will say X amount of days until harvest. So if you want your tomatoes and your peppers and your cilantro and whatnot all go in at the same time you can always say okay well if i expect everything to come up by august 1st you can just go in reverse and see well this is when i need to start my seeds because it's so many days out if that makes sense
2: and the seed quality really matters we bought seeds from different companies and some of them didn't produce hardly anything so we planted you know a good batch of of soil with these certain seeds and we only got a handful.
1: Yeah, and there's certain, too, another thing to think about is with tomatoes specifically, you can have, I think they're called like determinate or indeterminate tomatoes, meaning that some varieties, the indeterminate will, I'm pretty sure this is correct, those are the ones that will continue to produce throughout the season, but the determinate ones will, a lot of times, they'll just dump their big harvest kind of at once, and then they're done. So if you're looking, that's what I'm going to focus on more next year for canning because it's a pain in the butt when you're picking some every once in a while to can them. But then, well, next week I got to do another batch. Then next week I got to do another batch. I'd rather just get a ton of them and get it all done with personally. Okay. Um,
0: And what about recycling some of the seeds uh, that you guys, because I mean, back in the day, there was not a whole lot of, we'll just go to the seed store and get some seeds. It was, yeah. we'll use the current crops we have and we'll harvest seeds from the yield and then plant them in order to have a, the next harvest or preserve those seeds for the next time it was you know time to plant. Have you guys done any of that yet or is that something you're going to be doing or are you going to kind of rely on just being able to go and buy the seeds?
2: That's that's a future thing. With everything, with homesteading, because it's, it's not like... Uh, it's not like back in the day where you do live on 40 acres and then your property is your life. Right. Right. I, I work quite a bit and my wife has homeschooling these three kids now and it's very busy. So, um, a lot of things when you start getting into homesteading, it's, it's all dreams. I'd love to, I'd love to, I'd love to. And you just make this huge list of, I love tos. most things are done by hand. Most things are being learned, uh, with normally without a mentor, you're just kind of reading and experimenting and there's a huge time investment and it's enjoyable, but when you're in, when you're enjoying and you're putting soap, well, I'm sorry, it could go from being enjoyable to being awful. If you, if you have to can and preserve the seeds and you want to make, and you have to make dinner and you see what I'm saying? When all these tasks start piling up, it, it becomes overwhelming and it's no longer fun. And we don't, we don't have to, homesteading doesn't have to be miserable, right? It's supposed to, especially because it's it's supposed to be kind of a fun thing to do with your, at least that's our goal, is to have fun, do it with our family. And so we do our best to, to pick uh, events that will make everybody happier, make everybody feel like they're they're getting the most bang for the buck, whether it's time, whether it's experience, whether it's taste, Nikki spent an entire day making salsa and you made eight jars?
1: Yeah, it was eight or nine pints, which we can go through like nothing with with our family. So there was a lot of, yeah, time invested in it. And kind of by the end of harvesting and canning, you just are kind of ready for a break. Like you don't want to deal with the seeds. You know, there comes a point where you don't want to do that. I think in the future, when we're more comfortable with the canning, we get the swing of things more yeah. and it's easier. It's not as overwhelming. It's more normal. We can take on that next that because I did plan on doing that. But another thing that you have to think about too, one of the reasons why I didn't do it is you have to think about cross-pollination. So we had several varieties of tomato plants. So in theory, next year, I don't know what I'm going to be getting out of those tomato seeds because they're if, when you have your pollinators, they're cross-pollinating. And so what used to be a cherry tomato, if it was by my beefsteak tomato, who knows what it's going to look like next year, what traits it's going to take on. I'm not so familiar with squash if it works the same way um i guess in theory it might but i haven't really dug into that aspect of it too much so that's something that i'm going to be researching too because i would like to have different varieties of since we keep talking about tomatoes tomatoes you know maybe i have to put my cherries on one side of the property maybe i have to put my candy ones on the other side and maybe there's enough of a buffer zone to where they won't cross-pollinate and i know these ones will be my canning next year and these ones i can continue to save as my cherries
2: Hey, this is Nate from Unlimited Life Concepts, and we
0: teach people how cash flow strategy can be just as powerful as investing. Imagine being able to earn interest on every dollar that flows through your hands, whether you're spending it or saving it. We offer a lifetime membership to our financial education platform
2: for $77, but right now you can use promo code RuggedLegacy and save 50% off. I would like to note. We keep saying we'll look at it later. Mm-hmm. The reason we say that is because from spring to fall, it's very busy being outside. And then once everything's done, that's when we plan on doing more of the research, more of the like because we're doing the writing for our site and the podcasting and stuff. That's when a lot more of that's going to happen because the the pressures of being outside and producing or, or consuming or or uh, harvesting aren't there. And so we can kind of take a step back and really digest the or digest the information, and then come up with a plan going forward. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, in my head, I kind of put it together in this picture that uh, there you, you plan by season, or you know whether it's harvest season or recovery season, or pl- you literally have a planning season, and so <laughs> you, don't, you don't worry too much about the planning part until the other season is done with. And I think that's a bit of a mental leap for some people who go, you know, like what I do, um, I, I will make a plan today that I will implement in March of next year or whatever, but I can, I have the, the luxury of planning whenever the hell I want versus you guys, (laughs) you don't have, you don't, you don't have time to plan. And so you're, you're literally stretching your the, the beginning to end process instead of it being a week here or a day here or a month here, several months versus several months versus several months. And that's stretching short-term thinking and short-term goals into very extreme long-term goals.
2: Yeah. Like, um,
0: you're seeing what sorry, you're, go ahead. you're thinking about, what you're going to do in March that you planned that in August and you're looking for what result it's going to have in july and so it's a very long-term stretch thing and i think that's where a lot of people who want to do what you guys are doing will get uh, tripped up is they think i plan it all now and then i never have to plan again but you guys are in a perpetual state of this is only thing we're focusing on
1: and then we're going to plan and that's the only thing we're going to focus on yeah and that's you know if anything doesn't happen like your hoop houses don't blow away or you know raccoons don't come and knock down all your corn stalks you know you can count on something (laughs) to plan for things but there's so many things that can happen that you didn't plan on
2: yeah like um right now i am planning on taking down three maple trees because they overcast the uh, we have an acre of woods and they cause them all to grow at right angles and so i have all these little trees that are all oh man, these terrible curves. And so I'm going to cut all those down, harvest them for wood, tear up the stumps so I can plant a windbreak, cherry trees, nut trees. And that's a five-year plan.
0: Yeah. You know, the, the trees don't grow at the same rate that crops do. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, unless you go in and you transplant trees for a windbreak.
2: I have thought about that, to be honest, because you the the, the most expensive thing is time.
0: Right. You know, the one you know, thing that I bought this, huh? I was going to say the one thing that it reminds me of is uh, one of the guys that I used to work for maybe 12, 13 years ago. He bought some property. It had 66 acres of uh, cotton and and like another 60, 60 to 80 acres of pecans. And so he had these two great, big old, huge fields and orchards of pecans. And when he needed to you know, plan a windbreak, he had the giant uh, pecan tree transplanters, you know, the giant cones that go into the ground and st- scoop up the entire root body uh, and done that. And it was because he had to take a, a non-working property and turning into an, a working property immediately in order to get a return on his very big investment. And so right. a lot of the things that he did with his property Uh, was uh, pretty much jerry-rigged everything. The the things that he needed, the things that he needed, you couldn't go out and purchase. And I know uh, for having known you for quite a while now, Kyle, you're you're pretty handy. And when Nikki was talking about, you know, getting better into the canning, making canning a little more streamlined, have you already started the maybe pre-planning or pre-design in your head at the very least idea for having a permanent canning station that you would just pretty much make to order that fit what you guys need?
2: You know, I would like to say yes, but I cannot. Um, 2020 has been a very busy year for for, for me. And, and I, I just mean with work. And my wife and I have basically had two separate roles this year. So I am currently turning a garage into an office. I was clearing trees. I mean, my whole thing was what needs to be done. How can I do it now in my spare time? And Nikki was very much on the other side of produce. She's like, I need to pre- I need to grow things. How do I grow things now? And we have really been running around with our hair on fire since April. I have not thought about canning <laughs> in an industrial setting. <laughs> um,
1: I bought some larger mixing bowls. I found <laughs> I I some new mixing bowls. So, as far as canning goes, that, that helped me. And well, I we'll did. What's that?
0: I said, we'll say that counts. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and I have a shelf in the basement where all my canning stuff can go. So that, I mean, at least I have it all in one spot now, as opposed to it was just sitting there collecting dust for many years. Cause I, I've done it before several years ago with making jams from uh, wild black raspberries that we were picking, but it's been years. So everything was just all over the place. We were able to at least put everything in one spot. So that is, that's a win for me. I'll take it.
2: To, to be honest, I mean, most of, most of what we're doing is not these huge fundamental changes. Cause what if you don't like canning? You know, I'm not talking about like me and Nikki, but I mean, you know, the audience, I mean, what if in your head you think, oh man, it'd be great to can. And then you buy an industrial canning system and it turns out you freaking hate canning. Well now it's just like buying a Nordic track or what are those running things? Treadmill. It's like buying a treadmill, you know. You you drop all this money a treadmill because by golly, you're gonna start running.
1: You hate running. And you hate you running and
2: you don't, don't use it. <laughs> it just sits in your living room, you know? So we're we're kind of doing the opposite where we are just saying we like this idea, we like this idea, and then we we use it and we see if we like it, and then we see about expanding it. So we like the hoop houses. We lost three of them and and three months, four months. So now we're building a greenhouse. It would be, in my opinion, it'd be foolish to build a greenhouse before, if you know, if you like growing stuff inside.
1: Exactly. And so it's good to make these baby steps. I think at first, you don't need to splurge and buy a fancy greenhouse by any means at the beginning, but it's good to take the baby steps like, okay, well, I just got this little water bath canner, which is just the big pot you know, that you use for food that you have that are high acid, you have to add lemon juice, whatever. But then the pressure canners, they're they're a little more, um, you know, takes a little bit more because they lock, they have a gauge and all that stuff. So it's a little more into it and they're more expensive. And so, you know, you can try out the water bath canner first and then see if you like it very much before you make the investment into the pressure canner when then you can do your low acid food easier and it's safer too. so just get your feet wet first, I guess, and see how much you actually like doing these things. And we, like he said, we discovered that we like having the hoop houses. So we bought one of the ones we bought, or it was a two pack for two. Was it a one pack or two pack? Anyways, I, I don't know. <laughs> we didn't make a very big investment. It was like two fifty on a big ten by twenty hoop house. So that that's really not a bad deal, considering how large of it was, how large it was we discovered that we really liked it. So now our next step will be making a stronger one that's actually real windows and wood and all that stuff. So it doesn't have to be, I think it can be intimidating for some people at first, but it doesn't have to be at all. If you have space to do it in town and you just have a small yard, there's a lot you can do with that too. It's just taking baby steps to see how far you wanna go. There's nothing saying that you have to start your plants from seeds. You can buy them from the store already started if that's what makes you happy.
0: I got you. So, you know, one of the things that I work with my clients on uh, is helping them build a business that fits to their life. And rather than trying to build a business and then somehow squeeze their life into the walls of it, you know, it might be like a tight fit and oh, you know, this doesn't really work. And as long as I hold my breath and stand on one foot, it works kind of thing. So from what I'm saying and hearing from you guys is that you'll see what works and then you'll streamline that. Or if it doesn't work, you'll scrap it. Yes. And I think that's probably the best way to go about it for anybody who's looking to start either homesteading full time. So I mean, you know, maybe like a small mini type homestead for the amount of space and property they have, or maybe they don't have the luxury of planning a five-year plan for your windbreaks, like what you were just talking about but find out what works and then make it easier and more streamlined. So I think that's kind of where I was going with the whole canning process. If you guys realize that canning is beneficial for the homestead, maybe a space in the pole barn can be just dedicated to canning where it's only canning and it's a little where you can do it at a larger scale, I guess.
2: We have talked about that in the past, creating an industrial uh kitchen because that's that's what it ends up being it'll end up being an industrial kitchen sealed off from everything else that way it can be clean no no mice no dirt you know no animals no barn cats you know and go ahead
1: yeah because we've done uh beer brewing and my making and stuff before too so that's another thing that could go into that that we could justify having the space to do all those things yeah
2: an industrial kitchen is most definitely in the future because if you've if you've never done a, a big canning project or any, any type of big cooking project, you'd have to clean that up before you can start dinner. And that's that's really dem- I, I think it's demoralizing, to be honest. Like when I brewed beer, I was brewing beer and then I had and I cause you have to sanitize everything so you so you don't make the beer funky. And then I would have to stop, clean up my mess, uh, make dinner clean up dinner, re-sterilize the kitchen, and then finish brewing beer.
1: Not to mention moving all the stuff off the counters into the other room and oh, all, yeah. all that stuff that's involved in it. So yeah, something like that in the future would be very beneficial.
2: Mm-hmm. And it'll be the best industrial kitchen I can afford because that makes life so much easier.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking is that you would f- try to find the things that you're doing the most of and then find ways to streamline it to where it's almost effortless. Because I can imagine the amount of just prep and deprep prep time that you guys have to go through doing it all from a home. You know, I've got nine kids, six of them still live at home. If I want to put together a jigsaw puzzle in the living room, I got to move a whole lot of stuff around to set up a card table. You know, so I could I can imagine how much prep it would be, and then having to go back through just to get life back to normal, you know, outside right. of you know outside of the, the the project or thing that you've had going on.
2: Yeah, that's that's actually why I'm turning the garage into the office. That's the we actually have two offices. Once the sunroom, which is converted into Nikki's office, that garage is being converted into my office, and the whole reason that's that whole project is being driven that that feels time sensitive is because we have nowhere to plan. We can't like if we get out a book, we can't let the book open to a separate page or we don't have a spot to write the whiteboard for what we're doing. We have to do everything based off of lists or notes in our head or passing conversations. So the first streamlining step for us is that office.
0: Yeah. When I first started uh, Rugged Legacy, I was making everything in the kitchen, and I had to... I really pissed my wife off. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, I really pissed my wife off. I ruined so many pots and pans with oils and beeswax and chemicals that I ended up having to buy her all brand new sets. And then transferring all of that from the table and the kitchen while trying to step around her with what I had doing while she's trying to feed the kids and yeah I I completely understand that which is why I'm glad I completely outsourced it you know the manufacturing and all that now it's nowhere it's not even within a thousand miles of my house where it's being done so I'm okay with that but yeah I totally get that um I will say just from my own personal preference you guys need to have about six more kids so that there's more labor.
2: <laughs> yeah. I agree. I agree. I think uh, you know, there's a the reason why did
1: if I could like give birth to a 13-year-old who's ready to work, then maybe I'd consider <laughs> it. But you know, there's quite a few years getting up to that point. So now, that's I'm,
0: of- Yeah. I've only kind a of joking on that, but what are your uh, plans on getting the kids more involved with the homestead life? How are you guys going about that? Because kids today would rather just sit and do nothing or go play. And I know it's, your guys, you know, you guys have a very active lifestyle. I see you guys doing the ATV things and you know, having fun and being outside. How difficult was it to get your kids interested in farm
2: work? Um, it you, you have to understand, we didn't start giving our kids chores when we moved out here. So I believe hard work is a is a virtue. I believe it's it's a blessing because if you can do hard work uh, you'll never go hungry. So the way my kids are is they actually as they get older they actually graduate from one chore which could be as simple as putting silverware on the table to clearing the dishes to washing the dishes to like when my oldest daughter wanted a dog she got to clean up she had to feed the cats and then when she got a little older she had to clean up the poop. So she has been doing things and well all three of our kids inherently do things which are chores for her.
1: for since they were Just able like, to since they've like been five, old enough to six. Yes. Yeah, well before that, since they've been able to scoop up dog food to feed the dog. But, oh yeah, that's so, the first chore. So we have different I mean depending on sometimes I might like till through the garden, but there's a lot of weeds that come up. So then I say, All right, kids, you fill up this wheelbarrow and you'll get X amount of dollars. So yeah. We don't give our kids an allowance just for existing every week. So they have their jobs that they do for the family, like, you know, clearing the dishes, taking care of the animals, setting the table, things like that, laundry, because I think it's important for them to have, well, we need to just be charitable and do things for other people sometimes. But then they also get the opportunity a lot of the outside jobs is where they make money because it is more labor intensive and so whether they're picking up sticks pulling weeds and then this year i started actually paying them like 50 cents a pound of tomatoes that they that they would pick so then that gives them an incentive to you're not going out there and seeing like okay go pick the tomatoes well they come back with a little little basket because like okay we got the tomatoes and then they're ready to go play you know the more tomatoes they pick the more money they make and it just seems like if at least for us, it seems like a fair way to do things because that's kind of how it goes in real life Yeah. when you're grown up. You know, you, in theory, shouldn't be getting paid for the amount of work that you do.
2: Yeah. Even like that, you mentioned the ATVs. My daughter, my oldest daughter, it's ATV actually has a rack on the back of it. So I was hauling logs. She went back there with the bungee cord, started strapping logs on the ATV. She didn't get paid for that. She just wanted to help me, help me uh, haul logs. My two-year-old at the time, she hung out with me while I cut branches up. You know, we rode out in the ATV. We set it up in the wagon. Cut it. You know, it's it's just a part of what we do. Um, television. Is, we treat television, tablets, whatever. Those are a treat. Those are not. Those are not a babysitter. You know, and um, we we have them use their imaginations. We have them play. And well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, and a lot of work can be play if you do it right.
1: Sometimes outside to say just go yeah you yeah. just go i don't care what you do just go outside because we do we limit their screen
0: time yeah that's what we do here uh with everyone except for my daughter they're not allowed to come back in uh for pretty much anything during the summertime. if you're hot we have shade trees if you're thirsty we have a hose you know right if you have to pee there's a bush again my daughter's the only exception right uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm still tempted on giving them a shovel just so that they can dig a hole and they never have to come inside to use the bathroom. Right.
1: <laughs> our kids wanted that. They were like, at our old house. They liked to go behind the garage and they'd say we have a. They called it a pee pee action. So they really were excited about the idea of being able to pee outside. I don't know if they really they haven't made a pee pee action here after all. But in the beginning, they were super excited yeah, about that happening. we to call that
0: our room. front porch, but. That's, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah oh uh real quick
2: that old house we lived into which we didn't do a lot of homesteading we just did a little garden and everything else like that we had a big maple tree we actually made maple uh, syrup from that maple tree yeah, we did. I great. mean my my point is, is there's opportunities all around you it, it could be as something as simple as a pot and a plant and a windowsill it could be something as extravagant as tapping a maple tree
1: and we yeah and we could have had more opportunity if we cut down said maple tree because it shaded the entire backyard we didn't. it was a love-hate relationship because i wanted the sun for vegetables but we also really liked the tree it was a cool tree and we got delicious maple syrup from it one time so if you wanted to there's things that you could do if we cut down that tree and sacrificed recreational space in the backyard because with the kids we wanted a yard for them to be able to run around But if that wasn't a priority of ours, we could have filled the backyard up with gardens and we could have really gotten quite a bit out of there, but it's just wherever your priorities are.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Again, that's more of, you know, building something that fits into your life rather than throwing it in there and then try to manage your life around it. I think that's kind of like the majority of what you guys have been talking about is you didn't start off saying, we're going to have this farm. You said, we're going to, Uh, insert a farm into our lives rather than insert your life into a farm and I I think that works better on just about every single level uh for anybody who's looking to start
2: yeah starting the key word start start with something
1: Throw a plant in a pot if that's you know, that's a baby step. Maybe you just try some herbs the first year and that's, that's a a win then. You know how to, the general basics into growing something.
2: Actually, it doesn't even have to be that hard. Do you guys have you picks where you're at, where you can go to a farm and pick your own stuff?
0: Oh yeah. Okay. We don't live very far from Strawberry Hill, USA. And that is the largest strawberry farm in the country. And I went to school with all of the Cooley kids and You know, I've got these great big 200 pound pumpkins on my porch now that we went and got. But, uh, well, I have one now because one decided to roll off magically and shatter. (laughs) Yeah. But we have those here.
2: Yeah. So you can just go there and just ask questions. People love talking about what they do. It's like a superpower. Just ask somebody like, hey, what do you do? What do you like? How does this work? People love talking about what they do, especially if they're passionate, you know, Mm -hmm. we, um, there's a a farm down the road from us. She said, you know, I won't pay you, but if you want to work on the farm and learn, you know, give me a call. And if I'm available, you know, I'll come, you can come out and I'll show you. People are so generous with their time, so generous with their knowledge. As long as you have a good attitude, you're polite, you show up and you're interested, people will open so many doors for you, you know, and, and, you know, I, I don't know why we don't take advantage of that by and large. It's it's an amazing opportunity.
0: Oh yeah, I agree with that, you know, especially with the uh, people love talking about what they do. You know, it, it's kind of like the human psychology trick. You know, people love talking about themselves. People love describing what it is they're passionate about because you know, they, they really want someone else to be able to share that passion with them. So if you look at me and go, see, I told you. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's, that's full Yeah. So before we wrap up, you know, we've only got about eight or nine minutes left. I do have a, uh, another question. You were talking about some animals. What is the level of animal you wanna to get to as far as how many and what? I know Kyle's over there thinking he's gonna have an elephant farm, I bet.
2: That's true, yes. Uh, I am definitely the one who's gun ho about everything all the time. And my wife says I don't like hoofed animals, which uh, mean, and or animals that fly. <laughs> so, <laughs> no that's what that should, yeah so so like me we've agreed on chickens i would like goats in theory i also would like a dairy cow in theory um i would love to do spring pigs um, most of the animals i want are either to lower my labor load by having them eat the brush or to eat
1: that makes sense so Yeah,
2: that's what I want.
1: And my outlook on it, chickens are good. I'll do chickens. Like I've been wanting to do that for a while, but, um, he works just so much at his regular nine to whatever his regular job. And so I don't want the responsibility of dealing with another living creature. I was even apprehensive to get the barn cats we got for getting mice a little bit at first, you know, just because that's another animal that you have to take care of and chickens from what I understand they're pretty low maintenance it seems like but to think about you know milking a cow like you can't miss a milking you can't not milk them they have to be milk it's something that you have to do and you know vegetables are different they're not going to yell at you or not yell but they're not going to like be physically in pain or whatever if you don't feed them if you skip a watering but you can't skip feeding your animals and so it's a little bit more responsibility, and I know I'm not ready to take that on. And then there's again the space issue.
2: She's completely right, by the way. If we get anything new, i be, be taking care. It, of. It's gonna end up. I mean, I would if I was here, but I'm not here very often. Yeah. <laughs> so it's gonna be her. If I got an elephant, it would be Nikki's elephant.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'd rather just focus on the plant ends of things. So we really like you know we love the idea of having ethically sourced meat and stuff there's a lot of places around here where you can get um chickens cows lamb all that stuff so there are places that you can go to because I don't like to support factory farms as much as possible and so it's nice that there are other alternatives out there to where it doesn't have to be be from the grocery store or from your own house. Yeah. The farmer's markets, they have people all over the place for stuff like that.
2: And we're looking at egg-laying chickens, not meat birds.
1: Maybe eventually meat birds. I might be open to that eventually, but okay. that's so way you, down the road. You're looking at your uh, uh,
0: what are they? The, the golden I can't remember the name of the chicken. It's one of the most docile active hen, active uh, laying hens ever. It's uh, a golden something. I can't remember. We were looking at getting some here, but the day that I decided we were going to get chickens here, I saw three peregrine falcons fly over the house. Okay, we're not getting those <laughs> yeah. was just That was a sign of don't buy those. But, uh, yeah, so and on top of all of this, you guys have a website. You guys have a podcast. Before we wrap up, I want to promote that to get more eyes and ears on your content. So take it away.
2: All right. So my Twitter handle is home underscore grown underscore sank. Uh, our website's homegrownsanctuary.com. Our podcast is Homegrown Sanctuary. Our newsletter, you can sign up at homegrownsanctuary.com. We do put out uh, newsletters, articles, podcasts. I'm, we're, I'm very active on Twitter. Nikki's starting to be more active. Where I post a lot of stuff that I just do day to day. It's not random, but it's very diverse. So some days I'll be working in a garage, some days I'll be cutting a tree, some days, you know, it's it's really whatever little adventure I'm doing that day.
0: Okay. So that's it's pretty much everything that actively comes up on a homestead that you have to deal with that anybody else who's interested in starting would definitely have to go through
1: at one point in time or another.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'd say that was pretty accurate.
1: Yeah, and we we plan on having a lot of content over the winter because you know right now we're so busy with just doing the things that you kind of lose time to actually type it out and get to get your pictures all that you want on there. So hopefully over the winter we can get a lot more stuff loaded up on there. Our
2: our plan is to document spring to fall, produce fall to spring, and then release.
0: Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Again, it's that long-term planning that goes into this whole thing. Yeah. All right. Well, for all of you listening, be sure to follow Kyle, uh, check out the, uh, content on their website, listen to their podcast. What is your podcast called? One more time. Homegrown, so- sanctuary. homegrown sanctuary. Again, Homegrown san- Homegrown Sanctuary, and it's homegrownsanctuary.com. com. Yep. Thank you all for listening. Kyle and Nikki, thank you guys so much for coming on and walking us through what it's like and giving everybody an idea that where they want to start doesn't necessarily have to be with 40 acres and a giant farmhouse full of animals.
2: Yeah, no problem, Jeff. Thank you so much for having us on. I'd love to do it again sometime.
0: Thank you. Oh, absolutely. I definitely want to hear more about the adventure when you get further along.
2: Will do. Definitely will do.
0: All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Rugged Legacy podcast. I appreciate you all subscribing. And if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button and we'll catch you all the next time. Thanks for listening to the Rugged Legacy podcast. And remember, everyone wants to rise from the ashes, but very few are willing to set themselves on fire.